The Athletic. Hello everybody and welcome once again to The View from the Lane, the award-winning Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. Joining me, jovial host Danny Kelly, perhaps a little less jovial than last time out, is The Athletic's Charlie Eccleshare and returning for a second appearance on the pod, Spurs TV's lead commentator. You hear him, of course, across other channels too. Indeed, he was commentating on Harry Kane's debut at home in the Bundesliga at the weekend. Rob Daly, uh, hello to both. Um, well, coming up on today's show, we'll discuss Tuesday night's defeat to Fulham in the League Cup, uh, what could and needs to happen in the last few days of the transfer window, and much else besides. We were going to start with the transfers, but I think events surrounding that defeat in the Carabao Cup mean that we have to move forward from there. It's tricky, this, because uh, I, I love all the positivity. I like the momentum they were setting up. I saw the selection uh, in, for, the, for the game, and I thought, OK, here comes... Not a defeat, but not a victory either. It turned out it was a draw and then a defeat and the inevitable penalty shootout. Nine changes is not what he led us to believe in the press conference, is, is it? Yeah, I mean, he gave the the impression... Yeah, he talked about how, you know, he take the Cups... Because he was asked about that on the eve of the game. You know, you're going to take the cup seriously. And uh, yeah, he talked about how much he loves winning, how important cup competitions are to him. Um, you, you know, he didn't say explicitly what he would do. He said he'd make changes, but you know, that, that could be anything between a few and wholesale ones. I, I, yeah. And I think it was making nine. It, it just took me back to hours spent watching Spurs in Europa League or Europa Conference League group games where you've, they've made loads of changes. They look completely disjointed. It was just, just reminded me of that. And, and if you make nine changes, it's very, very difficult, no matter how good the footballers are that come in, and people have different views on how good some of those players are anyway. Some of them some of them are you know, top-class footballers. Um, yeah, it's just really hard to look anything other than very, very disjointed. And Fulham away, I don't think... It was was the game to do that necessarily? So yeah, it was a very very difficult draw, and and it, and it was and that it was a massive pain because I can see where Postacoglu was slightly between a rock and a hard place because you want to stay in this competition, especially with no Europe, but also you have very few opportunities to give some of these fringe players minutes. And obviously, what would have been ideal is to play a lower league team at home or something where you can get away with making wholesale changes. Where's Marine when you need them? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, rematch against Marine. But it was too much. Um, and I mean, look, also, they, they did draw the game. It wasn't like they went and got battered. Um, but they're out now and they're gonna ha- they've got no other football. A maximum number of games, if, assuming they reach the, the FA Cup final, of 42. So uh, probably, uh, you know, 20 less than some of the more successful teams will have to play in the course of the season. I, I said to James uh, when they got this draw, I said, God, I'm all of a sudden thinking about the 2005-2006 season, which was a 40-game season for Spurs. They weren't in Europe and went out of the cup in the first round. And he responded something like, you know, why would you say that sort of thing? Um, but all of a sudden, that you know, that is possible. And that's crazy when you think of how many games they, and as you say, most of their rivals have or will be playing this season. Best I can do with that is to say it's a positive. We'll have less games... Um, 
than some of our rivals. After the game, there is no European football, so how am I going to find out about a player, said Andrew Postacoglu. What opportunity would I have to do that other than the game? They're all part of our club. We thought they'd be able to bring a different energy tonight. That doesn't mean the cup or any game isn't our priority. It's the selection that gives us that information, Angie. It's not the performance in this case. What came to my mind when he said that? I, I do totally get that, that he wants, you know, there are very few opportunities to see his players. But I actually think you'll you'll learn a lot more about your players if you make a few changes and they're coming in. It's so hard as a player coming in with nine changes. And that's a team that they're never going to play again in a serious game. Well, it's, it's possible that by the time they play the next game, some of those players that started and took penalties won't even be at the club. Yeah, totally. But... You know, I was thinking about Giovanni Lacelso, for instance. So many of his re- recent, in inverted commas, because they're not that recent, appearances for Spurs have been in such heavily rotated teams that that's quite tricky. And, I, you know, I was thinking Pap Sar, for instance, who's been brilliant. I've loved watching him. If you just dumped him in that team with nine changes yesterday, I reckon he might not look great either. Like, it's, it's really hard. Whereas if they'd made, like, you know, f- let's say four changes, then you can suddenly see, okay, well... How much do we lose from our back four? Let, you know, just bring in Emerson Royale. Let's keep him ticking over. And let's bring in maybe one midfielder, one of the wingers, and then maybe one other somewhere in that team, or you just make three. And I think that will tell you a lot more about, okay, well, how seamlessly can this player slot in? And you'd hope that for most league games, you're not going to be having to make more than like three or four changes. And also, if they had one, then that gives you more opportunities going forward in the League Cup when they might have a more favourable draw as well, to see some of those players. So I can see I can see why he wanted to see as many as possible, but I actually think by making so many, you learn less about those players. The two he did play from the previous selection, he doesn't have a centre-forward, so Richarlison had to play. He doesn't have a left-sided centre-back that he trusts, so Van der Ven had to play. Um, look, th- those are, that's the background to how they got out onto the pitch. Uh, Rob, you, you you watched the whole game and, and described it and called it. What did you make of the actual performance? I felt Postacoglu's assessment was pretty accurate, that it was an issue of fluency and cohesion. The sort of shape of everything looked the same to what we've seen from Spurs in the opening three league games of the season, but the way the ball was actually moving around wasn't wasn't the same. I mean, my main takeaway from like quite a, a clinical viewpoint of the match was the importance of Yves Basuma and the press-resistant holding midfield player who can dribble, which is just such a niche set of skills, like an unbelievable set of skills that Pesuma's got. And this is not a dig at Hoybier. I think there's absolutely a place for Hoybier in the squad, and we've seen the way he's been deployed so far as this steadying force in central midfield coming on for you know Madison or, or Saar or Skip or whoever in those other midfield positions. And then it also got me thinking about Rodrigo Bentancourt a little bit and how important he'll be when he comes back because he also he isn't as strong carrying the ball as Basuma but how he can he can just get away from trouble and barely ever lose the ball like Basuma because the system the way Spurs play feels so dependent on guys who can take the ball back to goal half turn near their own area and not feel worried you know what I mean um so that was one of my main Things in the game that if Basuma's on the pitch, maybe it's a different, it's a different performance and things are a bit more fluid because he feels pretty pivotal um, right now. I think that's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, I think he he does feel like he holds that all together. I mean, 
you're almost being asked to do the job of two players or one and a half in that role. The Basuma's doing, you know, he's a kind of one man <laughs> defensive screen when typically that job's been, you know, we, we've got used to teams playing with a 4 2 3 1. Obviously, that's evolving. And, you know, Basuma's being asked to do what, say, Rodri does for Man City. Very, very specialized, difficult job, both defensively and, as you say, Rob, being able to take the ball on the half turn and bring it forward. And I think there's a stat he's made more covered more yards with the ball than any other midfielder in the Premier League so far this season obviously it's a small sample size but it gives you a sense of what he does take him out of the team and yeah you realise he really is the fulcrum Um, and obviously not having Madison as well you know those two already just feel so central obviously literally um, to this team Uh, but also just in the way everyone I think kind of looks to them for inspiration um, if Benton Kaur was in the team, and I'm not putting, I'm not taking Sarah out of the team, but if Benton Kaur was in the team with Basuma, they would have two options there because I think they're both pretty good yeah. at taking that ball. Um, at, to use um, uh, Rob's uh, UEFA approved phase on the half turn, um, <laughs> and uh, I'm sure you can't. I bet you don't say that in every commentary. But you've got a whole a whole lexicon of ways of saying that without saying it. <laughs> there are other details that I want to get into very quickly. I mean, obviously. Um, Van der Ven has now got more goals than any other Spurs player this season. That was just unlucky. Let's be truthful about that. Um, I wanted to the, the substitution of Lacelso at half time. Was that harsh? What was the, what was that change about? Do you think? I, I thought he was actually one of Spurs' better players. He looks good with the ball, doesn't he? That's one thing about him. You know, whatever whatever about the team around him, because he's got technique. He looks good when he gets the ball, doesn't he? Yeah, and I mean, I can see. You know, they wanted to put on another attacking player um you know and I know some people thought well why not bring on one you know someone like Son or Kudasevsky one of the regulars I I did think he was a bit unlucky um and as I say he just never seems to be able to get any rhythm (laughs) because whenever he plays it seems it's in these shadow teams who really struggle and, and don't really know each other's patterns I certainly don't think he was any worse than anyone else it seems he did want the tactical I mean, what would you have called it, Charlie? It was, it was kind of four four two kind of thing, wasn't it then? Because Perisic yeah. was still wide left, uh, Solomon was still wide right, and then Scarlett and Richarlison were up front together. It seemed more a, a an idea about changing the tactics of the team rather than a direct criticism of the cell set. And if you are going to bring on a striker for a central midfielder, you surely have to sacrifice the most attacking one. He, he wanted someone tight to Richarlison, it seemed, because I, I, one of, I think one of the issues Richarlison's had a little bit, and Son actually did it pretty well when he went centre-forward against Bournemouth, is back-to-goal hold-up play, and that the ball might pop off him, but there wasn't someone like directly tight to pick up a scrap, or so maybe Postacoglu was looking at the ball, coming off Richarlison, him trying flicks, but no one quite being at the proximity to be there, and thought, actually, if I've got a second centre-forward on, they might... They might link up. And and to be fair, Dane Scarlett was about half a metre away from getting really good chances. Like every pass just slightly overcooked or his one run was slightly off. He was nearly in like three times, on which occasion he didn't touch the ball for any of them. So I think that was, I think that's what that was personally. But He had a good effort saved as well. I, th- I thought Scarlett yeah. pl- played pretty well. He did, um, yeah. He, he's another one who has tended to play in those sort of, conference league or whatever it is heavily changed teams and has fed off scraps a little bit um but I, th- I certainly think he you know he he made a very good impression Postacoglu spoke very warmly about him afterwards and about how they'll work out whether he goes out on loan or stays and I, and I do wonder if 
the absence of Carabao Cup football will make will mean a loan makes more sense because there's just going to be so little chance for minutes for him. Richarlison got his goal. Um, only thing I'd say about him, um, and it's positive really, but he he just needs someone to say to him, "You don't have to, you don't have to produce a wonder moment with every touch of the ball." Um, when he's confident, when he's playing for Brazil, um, he is prepared to let the ball go with a first or second touch to a teammate and then make his run. Seems to me at the moment he's trying so hard because he's so desperate for things to go right um, that the, the fundamentals are coming to it. The fundamentals of team play are coming very difficult to him. Um, there's an awful lot of try, trying first-time flicks when he's got time to actually control the ball and play it. It may not look as as Brazilian or as worldy, um, but it would help help the team. And, and that's what I say about that. I mean, I'm glad he scored um, and because... And it, of course, you know, we know how the media works. I, lo- I like the way I always present myself as floating above the media. <laughs> yeah. We don't do knee-jerk reactions on this podcast. <laughs> you know, now, he, now he has opened his account for the season, but that won't be good enough. He hasn't scored in the Premier League now. They'll just change it to that, won't they? I do think with, with Richarlison and just more widely, there is a, something grimly fascinating about watching a striker who isn't really scoring goals. Just the psychology of it is is so interesting. And I always the player that always comes to mind with this is Alvaro Morata, who, bless him, has had a great career, but somehow there's always seems to be a misfortune lurking around the corner. And Got some, two some, of seven for Atletico this weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, he did. Uh, stat padding, though, wasn't yeah. it? Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, and you know when you know when a striker is so desperate for goals and they're so clearly overthinking everything, as you're describing with Richarlison, you know, and I've watched him quite closely the last couple of games, and you can just see the frustration. And it's amazing how, when you're confident, things just drop your way, and you're so much more relaxed. And I know that you know from having played football, I can totally empathise with this. When you when you're on a good run. You're just not really thinking, and then when you're so desperate for a goal, you're you're kind of chasing things a little bit, and I think that's why you often end up in slightly the wrong position because you're you're not letting it flow. And and I've seen that with him, and you could see visibly after he scored, he looked so much lighter, and and he wanted to get on the ball, and and was kind of excited by getting on the ball because it feels like then good things are kind of a not a bonus, but. You know, you, you've got your goal and that scrutiny's gone. And it, and it's interesting as well, no matter how much Postacoglu and all his teammates, which is what they're doing, is saying to him, don't worry, don't worry about the goals, they'll come. You you know, you're doing lots of other stuff. The system, the striker needs to be selfless, but strikers, their self-esteem is so built around goals and you can see that with him. They're like um, goalkeepers and strikers are a bit like sort of individual, like, like, you know, when a tennis player is struggling and you can just see it, they can't hide it because mm-hmm. they're so... They're so judged by this like sole metric, like not yeah. pass completion, final third pass completion and, and stuff like this. It's goals or goals let in. And Richarlison is very expressive, isn't he? You 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 don't need to really look at him to try and work out is, if he's upset or if he's in a good good place. You can see when he's dejected, you know, he's 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 a bit like that. It was interesting Postacoglu saying it was you know, everyone was, was saying to Postacoglu uh, after the game, um, you must be happy Richarlison's got his first of the season. I know you guys were talking about he just needs one to go in off his backside, you know, on the last show, that kind of goal. Um, but Postacoglu then sort of changed tactic. He said, actually, essentially, it was his, his worst performance of the season. He's played better this season. I've liked what he's been doing in the team in, in, in previous games. And hanging over him, and it shouldn't be, because no one's expecting him to replace Harry Kane. 
the way he, he, you know, one might internalise that idea. Yes, he's got the centre forward position, and in pre season, that was the change, wasn't it, Charlie? It was like Kane up front or Richarlison up front. It wasn't Richarlison wide right or wide left, as we'd seen. It was direct, direct. With a lot of the positions in the team, it was, you know, Hoybier for Basuma, Skip for Saar, Lacelsa for Madison, blah, blah, blah. So uh, he, he probably just needs to, maybe, if that's in his head, try and loosen it out a little bit because no one's expecting him to replace Kane. Postcoder was born in Greece. He had, he does have to hand several examples of teams that have succeeded at the very, very top without a striker who was in form, or in one case, I'm going to get to, without a striker at all. But their forward player works extraordinarily hard. I mean, Greece, when they won the European Championship, France, when they won the World Cup, with the, I think, I'm, I'm guessing Stefan Givash up front. Stefan Givash, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, Givash didn't get a goal, I think, in that World Cup, but he worked like a maniac to allow the, 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 the excellent wide players to get past him. Um, with the ball at their feet. And when France won the World Cup again in 2018, their striker Giroud didn't have a shot on target in the tournament. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it's extraordinary. <laughs> I mean, Rob's point about the, you know, the, the, whichever you made the point, that they're, they're, they're mentally brought up to judge themselves by the goal count, that, that's something we have to break with them, the way the game is changing. Now, exactly. I want him to get 25 goals this season, Richarlison. But more than that, I want him to be in a team that wins a lot more games than they won last season, for instance. I also think as fans, we sometimes we sometimes need to recalibrate how we view goal scoring because we are so used, especially, I mean, especially for Spurs fans because they've had Harry Kane. But, you know, even that notwithstanding, we get uncomfortable if goals are coming from different areas because we feel somehow it's not sustainable. When in reality, it's okay to spread the goals among the team as long as the goals are coming. Um, but I think there's a nervous, a slight nervousness you know, if you know, after the first couple of games, because all the goals had come from defenders, defenders or, yeah. or own goals. <laughs> Remember when own goal was, you know, Tottenham's third highest scorer for for a long period. Um, but I think it might just be this season that Richarlison isn't prolific. But I think that's where Sonny Kudelski they they do need to be contributing uh, in meaningful ways with goals and assists. Which takes me to another part of the goal scoring um, ritual. Um, those penalties, penalties, bit of a sh- bit of a, um, a kind of uh, lottery, as people always say. Football cliches are high. Um, made a little bit more of a lottery if you've got Fraser Forster in goal. But I mean, obviously, Davidson Sanchez should not be taking the middle penalty. That's clear to anyone. Who Rob is going to take them when we get one in in the Premier League? Oh, I think Son. I think probably not. Got the most. Not got the greatest record either for Spurs or for South Korea. Yeah, well, he missed that famous one with the broken arm, didn't he? Where he got the rebound against uh, against Villa. I'd I'd guess if someone you know said put put some money on, I'd say Son, but Madison a close, a very close second. He missed that one though, didn't he? Against Everton, that crucial one for Leicester. Yes, back yeah. in the last season. But technically, I mean, the way I loved how he struck that penalty, it was it was fantastic. Uh, yeah, I did think the same thing though that this was kind of an audition for. Uh, who's going to be the regular penalty taker. And yes, on Forster, I said uh, to Jacob Steinberg from The Guardian, who sat next to us, said like he, after, after a couple of penalties, I was like, hmm, Forster feels a little bit like one of those goalkeepers who's not going to be great at penalties. And so it proved. And I mean, Davinson Sanchez, the thing is, I, 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 I don't even put that on him necessarily. I just think surely there should be other players who are more confident. You know, generally penalty in a shootout, and I don't know if this was the case last night, but it tends to be, you know, you've got a few who are 
nailed on to take them. And then it comes down to, okay, well, who feels confident? And if you feel confident, generally, you're then allowed to take one. There should have been players more confident than Davinson Sanchez to take a penalty. I know things can happen in the game. You might have a twisted ankle, but essentially you should know from the 20 players that are on the on the starting lineup and a pitch, you should know in any given combination that are left at the end of the pitch, the order in which you're going to take them. And um, again, without the benefit of a UEFA coaching badge, let me remind you that James Madison shouldn't be taking the fourth penalty. Um, your best penalty takers, one, two, three, four, and five in that order not Cristiano Ronaldo waiting to take the glory one, which then doesn't come because two of his colleagues miss. Take, I mean, you know, we know that statistically Spurs lost the toss. They were on a 60-40 chance of going out. Which is which is crazy. They started the ABBA, which was a good idea, but of course it was too complicated for people like Rob to follow. So the commentators <laughs> oh, backed it down. <laughs> Did you, it wasn't you then, was it? No? <laughs> no, no, I got it. You're saying that the public are thick then, are you? <laughs> I'm not saying no, no, no. I'm not saying that. <laughs> Come on, I'm not Rob, saying that. What are you saying? Son also, I think he lost both coin tosses, didn't he? He lost the end coin toss and the first who takes it first coin toss. So um, he's the Pat Cummins of yeah. uh, he's the Pat Cummins <laughs> of football, isn't he? Listen, why don't we move on to something else? Because I think you could go on and on moaning about that. I'm still. You know, still very positive about the way things have started. I, I hated going out of that competition, but that's what happened. We were going to start, lads, with the transfers. But for those of you listening, you know, perhaps walking your dog or something, I'll, I'll be absolutely uh, uh, accurate with you. It's nearly 11 o'clock on Wednesday morning, which means there are about 60 hours of the transfer window. Somebody with a mathematics degree will probably put me right about that. There's about 60 hours to go. It strikes me that Spurs have still got an amazing amount of work to do if the amount of ins and outs that people seem to think are likely are to become realities. Charlie, we know how quickly and how easily and how often these things change. What what are you hearing? Which are the players uh, who are... I mean, I'm looking at... I'm right now, I'm, Jed Spencer's just signed his loan deal with Leeds. So that's, that's one that you... Bring us up to date with anything you're hearing without giving away trade secrets, because I know that you've got another part of your job is to land us with whopping great exclusives. Yeah, I mean, so just looking at, I've got a list um, of the, the players that could leave. So in Dombele, uh, there's talk that he'll move to Genoa. I'm told that's unlikely to happen. You know, the, the sense was that it was down to the player and my info is that that one's seen as unlikely. And then... Eric Dyer, I think there's will on both sides for some sort of resolution there. As we've been reporting, his preference is to go uh, next summer on a free. Um, he would, you know, he would be open to a loan. Davinson Sanchez reported yesterday a bid came in uh, from Ren for nine million euros, which is some way below what Spurs want, which is between fifteen and twenty million euros. Last night may have changed things, but the need to sell him or the desire to is a bit less pressing because he came in and, you know, against Brentford anyway, looked like a pretty, you know, a viable backup. Uh, you'd like to think Postacoglu, you know, wouldn't necessarily change that based on one iffy performance, which let's be honest, yesterday I thought he he struggled, you know, not even with the, not even thinking about the penalty. Yeah, Jed Spencer going to Leeds for a season, no option, no obligation, 1 million uh, fee. Hoybier, I've been steered away from the Man United talk. Uh, and, and then Regulon, haven't heard a huge amount. I mean, he was also on, supposedly on Manchester United's list, though again, 
I gather he wasn't especially high up on that list and it looks like they're progressing with uh, Mark Kukurea. And then Hugo Lloris, as we've reported, he finds himself in a tricky position because what he doesn't want to do is go and be a number two somewhere. Uh, and that was what was on the cards with Lazio and that's why he turned it down. He wants to be a number one at a European club, but that opportunity hasn't really popped up. Uh, there was also interest from Saudi Arabia earlier on in the window. Maybe that comes back, but that wasn't something, you know, that certainly wasn't his first choice back then. He's got th- uh, three kids. He's he's quite settled. That would be a big uh, upheaval. But, you know, if the, if the window closes... And the, and the Saudi window obviously is still open for a few weeks. He'll have a decision to make. But this all led me to think about, and this is something I wrote in my piece um, last night, at what point do Tottenham start thinking about terminating contracts? And and this is something they've done before with Serge Aurier. They did it with Matt Doherty, obviously in those weird circumstances because they wanted to loan him and then couldn't loan him. But it's a really fine balance because... So Arsenal, did, they did it with... They've done it with four players. They did it with three in the same window. They did Ozil, Socrates, Mustafi. And then the following year, they did Kalasinac. Now, the problem you have, if you make a habit of doing that, and I think they slightly found this as a slight cautionary tale is, well, if you're a buying club, you might be like, mm, I think I might just sit tight, actually, because they're probably going to pay this guy off anyway. Ditto, if you're the player, you might think, am I in a rush to leave? I might just sit tight because if I do long enough... They might get sick of me and, and want me to go. So it's very much a last resort for any club. But I just wonder if, as the days go on, and you know, you think Hugo Lloris, if it was to be with anyone, you'd think that would be potentially the most likely because otherwise, you, it, let's say Lloris does stay, he's not going to be in the Premier League squad. And then you've got a former club captain, your number one goalkeeper for 11 years, just at the club training but not with no prospect of playing, that would be a really, really weird situation. Former World Cup winning captain as well. It just doesn't feel very satisfactory for anyone. Um, so I don't know. I just, I just wonder if that last resort comes into play because we keep being told how much they need to trim the squad. They're, they've just got too many players. And I go into the numbers, you know, you can only register 25 players. They've got too many. So they're already, if they don't sell anyone, going to have players just lingering around at the club with no prospect to play. That's not a healthy situation. So, Charlie, what about potential incomings? One name that keeps on popping up is Brennan Johnson. Um, what's the chances of that happening in the next 48 or so hours? At this point, I mean, it, it's sort of, there's caginess as to whether that's definitely going to happen. I I really hope it I really hope it does. It's a lot of money. Um, I think he'd be a really useful addition. Um, but it's, yeah, it feels like, there's still a little way to go on that. Um, and then, you know, Ansu Fati is another one who it, it's possible. Um, they do, you know, they, 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 there is an interest there. So that to me, that's got Todd Bowley written all over it, the Ansu Fati one, hasn't it? It really just, <laughs> it, 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 his people will have heard of this player. He's available on huge wages. Um, that's got to <laughs> yeah. be. That's got to be. <laughs> He's seen someone else is interested in him. That's good enough for me. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Yeah, welcome back to The View from the Lane. I'm Danny Kelly. Alongside me today are Charlie Eccleshare and Rob Daly, who commentates on Spurs and beyond. Um, let's talk about beyond first, Rob, because I'm really I'm saving up talking to you about the joy it must be to commentate on a team that's playing some proper football. Um, you did the game um, between Bayern Munich and Augsburg. Harry Kane scored twice. Um, and and, and I, for me, and I watched the game, and, I, and so I heard your voice, but um, the Bayern Munich fans are getting a taste of what Spurs fans have had for the last decade. They didn't play particularly well, but they were always going to win the game because they got Harry Kane. Well, they, they were particularly flat at the weekend, I felt. It was really, you know, that when Chelsea were at their most stodgy under Tuchel, you know, they just weren't moving the ball quickly enough and there wasn't, there was lots of possession, but not much actual like penetration into the penalty area. There was, they were guilty of that at the weekend, Bayern. They got lucky, own goal, first goal. There was a nice piece of individual play with Gnabry and Leroy Zane first. Then an, then a penalty that needed a VAR review. And Augsburg had been very competitive in the game to that point, but then Kane steps up. So Kane's going to be on penalties. They had a bit of issues with penalties last year after Lewandowski left, finding a set penalty taker. So he stepped up and just, you know, knocked it in no problem. And then the second half, uh, he scored a lovely finish for, for his second goal. Yeah. How how difficult is it for you having got How weird is it? watching him playing in another team, having commentated on him for years, playing in one team. It's still quite jarring seeing him in the Bayern stuff, isn't it? I mean, let alone the Lederhosen, which he's been, uh, he's been wearing this week. Um, but it is, it is on, it almost looks computer game. Like when a player, you know, you just move a player to another team and they're in another kit and it doesn't look right. But he, he does seem to be settling in extremely well, not just because he's, He's playing well. I think that there's already talk of him joining, um, they call them uh, the leaders' councils, you know, the kind of things like, I don't know what we call them here, but like leadership, leadership groups. groups. Yeah. yeah, leadership group kind of thing that he, he already has such a presence about him, um, even though he's not, he, he can't speak the language, that they're considering adding him to that group with Malmo Neuer, Thomas, uh, Thomas Muller, and Joshua Kimmich, you know. That leadership group, Thomas Muller is, is a comedian, and the other two, by goodness. There's an interesting situation with Muller right now as well because he's he seems to be developing a nice friendship with Kane. The pair were eating a vice versa the other day, you know, this white sausage, and he was showing him how to eat it and and uh, all the rest of it. But the Muller might not actually play much. They had Musiala injured, so didn't have a number 10 on the pitch. Actually played wingers in that position. They played Leroy Zani as a 10 for a bit, Gnabry as a 10 for a bit. So that's going to be an interesting political position for Tuchel to navigate. Which takes us on then to the start of the new season. Um, this League Cup tie, which I'm now deciding to just park as a, as a, a bad day at the office. Um, but Rob, obviously three decent performances. Um, nobody's getting carried away yet. But the, what's really been interesting is the change in the atmosphere of the team. Um, 
How does that reflect in your commentary? And I'm asking the question because I suspect in the second half of last season, you were—you call the games you see it. I know you're a thorough professional, but you do work for Spurs. Um, and so you can't be like me going on here and ranting and raving about why the hell can't they pass the ball to each I other? I definitely could not be no, like no, you. No, no, quite, quite. For all sorts of reasons. We don't want Mrs. Daly leaving you either, do we? Let's be truthful. Um, but it must be more more fun for you to commentate when the ball is being moved forward, where you can see the positive runs of Udoggy and Perro and all the rest of it. Yeah, I mean, when I'm commentating on a Spurs play, I think... Um, you're always coming at a position for, of, of empathy for the players. So if there's an individual errors and stuff like that, you try not to dig out the team. If things are not happening as a team, you, you can say they're not going well. You know, it wasn't going well that first half an hour. And Postacoglu said it subsequently was, was disappointing last night. But um, obviously when the team's playing well, my job's much easier. And when they're attacking, it's more easier and more fun. And it has been really fun watching this Spurs team come together so quickly um, and I know no, I know, I know you you choke about getting ahead of yourself and I heard the last pod you're all giddy yeah yeah I did I did live from the top of an open top bus which I bought for the occasion it's cost me 200 grand I'm just keeping it, it for when Spurs play well yeah I think I, what I liked one of my favourite things that Postacoglu said in pre-season he was asked do the fans need to be patient and this is a big thing, isn't it? The new system, there's going to be mistakes. Fans need to be patient. And he said this thing about, I can't tell anyone how to feel. They need to see evidence that something's happening. I can't tell them, just keep believing believing in the process, you know, and the team's getting beat and blah, 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 blah. He says he needs to present proof of where the team's going. I'm just amazed at how quickly that proof is there. I th- I'm not there saying Spurs are the Finnish article. There were there were errors in the Brentford game. There were that first tricky, what would you call it, 25, 30 minutes against United. Um, Bournemouth strong 15 after half time, and their strong start to the first half. But you're seeing his methods pretty quick, pretty quickly, and that's the most pleasing thing. I think also he's extremely. I mean, we could talk obviously about the tactics and this freedom the players are told. You know, it doesn't matter if you're the left back. If you see a space, you go for it. You know, this this whole you're a player, not a position kind of attitude he's got to to football. But I think his authenticity and comfort in himself is also mega endearing to the supporters. It isn't just oh he's saying all the right things. I think he's 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 extremely authentic. It reminds me of Klopp in a way that you feel like you're definitely getting this real version of a guy, a guy comfortable with themselves, not maybe a manager in their late 30s, early 40s, trying to play a mind game in the press conference, sending a message to the board, doing this, doing that. He's just in there chatting to people and it feels, you could imagine him like on the high road having a beer with you. You know what I mean? And um, and I think that's mate. part of the reason people like him so quickly. Mate, yeah, he'd be calling you mate. I'm sure certainly if you bought him a beer or whatever. So far in press conference, he uses it as a kind of slightly passive, aggressive, aggressive full stop to the questions, doesn't he? We- he he's weaponized it. mate, hasn't he? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, Rob, I'm going to ask you a question that I shouldn't ask it to a professional. Do you enjoy it more, commentating on, the t- on, on Spurs when they're playing well? Do you personally enjoy it more? Oh, of course, yeah. It's just way easier. You, you're not when I do the commentary for Spurs. I'm not doing this like deliberately sad thing when a goal goes in against them or an overly happy. You're just like you're, you're thinking about who's listening, and it's Spurs fans, but they want to hear the truth. But then in those big moments, you can't help but Pat Matsar's first goal for the club coming against Man United at the South Stand, Skip scoring against Chelsea last year. You know all these these moments, and when the team's playing exciting, attractive football, it is you know. It's it is fun, um, 
and it, I've loved covering the team so far. I mean, you know, he's getting rave reviews, isn't he? The team's getting rave reviews across the board. But I don't think anything like I, I'm always baffled by the value of players. How someone can be like Enzo Fernandez could be like 10 million pounds one window, and then 120 million pounds. It tells me football's like quite broken for that kind of. Uh, you know, chasm to be there. There's also ridiculous value put on the opening two or three matches of a football season. And um, there's a long, long way to go, isn't there? I mean, um, everyone's saying, you know, maybe Spurs are going to get top four. Maybe they are. But it feels very early. Very, very early. Charlie, you've written a piece not about Kane's departure, but about the departure of, with all due respect to Luka Modric, the previous superstar, because it's almost 10 years almost to the day, that Gareth Bale left. Ten years on Friday. Um, yeah, so it's a bit of a retrospective on um, Bale's departure and then obviously you can't talk about Bale's departure without talking about how that money was spent and how that became a sort of cautionary tale for what not to, how not to do a rebuild. Though I think it's, it's interesting because, yeah, I, th- I don't, th- you know, not really, apart from Kirikes, maybe, and he wasn't massively expensive. Clearly, all of those players that came in were decent players. They'd either done enough previously or have done enough since, some of them at Spurs, in the case of Lamella and Ericsson, and arguably Chadley as well, who you know, Spurs sold for double uh, what he came in for. It was just the volume of change, you know. It was so, and we talked to Sandro for the piece, and he talks about that, how it was just like, it was crazy. But yeah, he's very interesting on it, on just how and how it was way too much change. But what's interesting is that. Garth Crooks with the, you know, the sold Elvis uh, bought the Beatles line. He was not a lone voice. Like a lot of people were really championing the business Spurs had done in that window. Um, I thought that it would look really good. You know, in retrospect, you're right. It's been set up as how not to do these things um, as a complete disaster. But Christian Eriksen was a brilliant player at Spurs. Lamella, the streets won't forget. So there's two out of seven automatically. I mean, I, st- I still watch Eric Lamella with a big grin on my face when he's playing for Seville. I think the, the interesting thing with Lamella, he was meant to be brought in as a kind of bail replacement. He was the the one, and they wanted Willian. And obviously, I mean, it's just such a crazy window because you've got the Willian hijacking as well. But he was the one, and he makes more sense as a replacement because of his pace and power and, you know, goal-scoring ability. Um, obviously, Lamella became quite a different kind of player, maybe maybe to what they thought. And I think there was a very different um, world back then because now I think there's more of an acceptance. If you go out and sign a load of players in a window, generally people think, "Mm, okay, well, that's going to take a bit of time and that's probably not the way to have a successful window. And you're probably only doing that if you're a bit desperate and there have been issues with squad building in the past. Back then, it was still at the kind of it was the height of the transfer deadline day hype, and it was kind you know where winning the window wasn't such a tainted phrase, where people genuinely thought it was kind of like the more players you sign, the better a window you've had. And I think there was just it was like they've signed seven players, like this is incredible, like, uh, and they've spent more than a hundred million. So it was, it was just quite a different world. It's just quite interesting revisiting that. And also, yeah, seeing how we're all wise after the event and we say, oh, no, 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 you couldn't possibly bring in that many players. But at the time, it, yeah, Mourinho was saying they could challenge for the title. Um, opposition, ma- Other opposition managers say, God, this Spurs team, Spurs players talking about how this is the best squad they'd ever had. Um, and obviously it didn't work out in the short term anyway. But yeah, Lamella and Ericsson and to a lesser extent, Chadley were, were then important 
for uh, for the Pochettino period. Oh yeah, and should say that piece, uh, the plan is for that to be up on The Athletic uh, tomorrow, Thursday. Can't wait to read it. Um, which takes us then to the fact that we've got another game away at Burnley at the weekend. Um, enjoy this one, Spurs fans, because following the outcome at Fulham, um, these games are few and far between. So enjoy the Spurs games. Uh, Rob, no doubt you've done the very intense um, research on the opposition here. First of all, we should make the point, two very young teams. Um, if Spurs pick the 11, I think they will, and, and, and Burnley the 11, they think they will. Very, very young teams. What do you what do you know about Burnley? What, what will Spurs face at Turf Moor? Yeah, well, I don't think it's a team that plays football like dramatically differently to what Spurs are trying to do. We saw from Vincent Kompany last season how effective Burnley were playing out from the back. And I, I wonder if actually there'll be some parallels with the Bournemouth game a little bit because you had a Bournemouth team trying this. Uh, admittedly, they've been in the Premier League last year, but trying a new system in the Premier League and Spurs just being better at it. Better players just being better at it. And whether these two teams try and apply a similar way, but Spurs just being better will actually be the, the, the fundamental the fundamental difference. So I could see, you know, I don't think Burnley have done particularly badly in their games. And they've had, a, you know, to play Man City, to play a very strong Aston Villa in their opening two games. They had the, they were playing the Luton game. Is that right? At Kenilworth Road that has been postponed because of the, the stadium not being ready. So they haven't been able to get fully, you know, into their, into their rhythm. Um, so I'd expect Spurs to to still go there and win. I think there's been some miserable old days up at Burnley, including the one where it got snowed off and Dyche was out in his shirt and the Mike Dean, uh, yeah. what was that Mike Dean game? The Pochettino, Pochettino one in March one. 2019, yeah. Yeah, that was a pretty miserable miserable affair. But um, yeah, I'm expecting Spurs to go there and, and, and get the win. I know it would be a different team, but following the disappointment, shall we put it no more strongly than that now, um, of... Uh, Tuesday night, um, this is a good chance to show the kind of um, resilience that I think if you're going to play uh, as adventurously as Postacoglu wants them to do, then you've got to have resilience built into the team because you're going to fall behind occasionally. You're going to have setbacks. Yeah, definitely. Um, February 2019, I should say, not March 2019. Um, yeah, and that's something, that resilience, Danny, is something that um, Postacoglu has talked about in a couple of their games. You know, Brentford, he, he really... Um, sort of lays it in on that theme because quite a few things went against them against Man United as well and to you know against uh, Bournemouth they had that 15 minute spell after half time where they had to do a bit of defending and I think were quite resilient so it will be a big challenge it's also quite it feels quite significant because and I know it you know he's at a very different stage with his popularity and everything like that but remember Nuno when he made those 11 changes and rested everyone for the Europa League Europa Conference League group game away at Vitesse but it was like well if you're going to do that you bloody well better go and get a result against West Ham a few days later because the collateral damage of what you've done there the ends need to justify the means they didn't they went and lost 1-0 and I think if Spurs go and get a result against Burnley people are going to forget about Fulham pretty quickly if they don't, if say they lose, then it'll be a bit like, well, we made nine changes, massively weakened ourselves, got knocked out of the cup, and it didn't even pay off for the league game. So it, it does just add another dimension to that, I think. Listen, thank you both very much. Rob, good luck with the, with the, the rest of the season. No doubt I, I will get you back on um, sometime in the near future um, to talk some more about Spurs, which I've been very grateful. Thank you, Charlie. And thank you all for listening. Let me just end with a reminder, as always, the show has now got its own official home on Twitter at VFTL Podcast. And for more comprehensive Spurs coverage, 
make sure you sign up to The Athletic. Take advantage of our limited time offer of just £1 a month for 12 months. Simply go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod to subscribe. Bless you all. The Athletic.